You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are at Monte Zoncolan. What comes to mind when I say Zonkolan? A wall, a wall, a wall and a full of people, but uh, I think this year it will be just a wall. So how much would you pay not to have to do the Zonkolan? If, if, if I said you could pay 500 euros and you wouldn't have to do it today, would you, would you, would you accept that? No, no, no. I don't. I don't give money. Yesterday, there's already some rider wanted money to, for me not to sprint an intermediate sprint. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't. You don't. You cannot buy me like this. Hi, my name's Larry Warbass, and I'm a rider for the AG2R Citroen team. Larry, word association. One word when I say Zonkola. Hard. How much would you pay to not have to ride up Zonkola today? Oh, I wouldn't pay anything. Actually, I'm like, kind of looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. Think could be a, a day for you, no? Are you? Yeah. Hashtag uh, pray for Larry because uh, you know I keep trying for these breakaways and I keep missing them, and now it's like this thing in our team, you know? It's the biggest joke is like, is like I, I can't make the damn breakaway. So so yeah, we're starting a hashtag hashtag pray for Larry. Uh, we're hoping I get up the road, and uh, yeah, hoping I can get a stage win or something, or at least just be there, you know? Elia Viviani, coffee this. When I say Zoncolan, what's the first thing that comes to your head? Uh, I hope a lot of people pushing us. No, no, it's a joke. So uh, it's one of the hardest climbs. So from this time we do the other side. So probably it's a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, the last 4K is really hard. So um, yeah, I think if it's, you say Zoncolan is one of the climbs when you think uh, like, okay, it's going to be a big battle from the GC. So who have the legs? drop the other head of, nobody can joke there so that is the the main point of the show of today if i said to you you could pay an amount of money not to ride lords on colan today how much would you pay <laughs> i want no. you to really think about this no no it's not too hard like like that so i think uh, if you, if i need to show you one stage in this giro i show, I show you the one of monday is uh, really something really hard for us for a sprinter how much money Would you pay not to ride that one? Probably... thousand. Jan Tratnik, Bahrain Victorious. Lodzonkolan, what comes into your head when you think of Lodzonkolan? Yeah, for sure it's legendary climb, but I never did it, so... for sure will be hard, this I know. Um, but I'm looking forward to see first time Zonkolan. <laughs> I want you to consider this seriously. Um, if I said you could pay an amount of money not to do Lodzonkolan today, how much would it be? 500 euros, 1,000 euros, how much would you pay not to do the Lozoncolan? I don't know, actually. Maybe I would like to do Zoncolan, at least to, to go up there someday. So today's chance, so yeah. Okay, you might give a different answer tomorrow. Uh, Chris Hamilton from Team DSM. And uh, Chris, the Zoncolan, word association. When I say Zoncolan, what's the first word that comes into your mind? Steep. Uh, yeah, I did this one... Back in 2018, I think it was, and I mean, it was a slightly different climb, but yeah, I can remember it being pretty brutal, but it's also one of those ones that like, everyone talks about, you know, leading up to it, and you know, the Zonkalan stage, it's like the gravel stage and stuff like that, and there's heaps of hype about it, and yeah, it's pretty cool to do though. You could pay any sum of money to not ride the Zonkalan, would you, would you pay, and how much would you pay? I mean, with the right gearing, and well, in normal times, it's, If you're not in the front and you're kind of in no man's land a little bit or something like that, the crowd's pretty generous and they give you a push. So I don't know if that'll be allowed today or whatever, but I mean, I can't complain being a climber. I think it's for the sprinters, though, it's a pretty brutal day. This is Nico Roach, DSM. Um, just quick fire, when I say Zonkolan, what do you think of? Pain. <laughs> Pain, history, cycling, Giro. Uh... 
Hashtag good memories, hashtag bad memories. What are the good memories? You were in a, you were in a break there. Once. Yeah, I was fourth in 2014 when uh, my teammate uh, Michael Rogers won. We had a great uh, great date up the front t together and uh, I did some quite some pulls for him and he managed to get the victory on, on the last kilometre. Uh, and I was quite happy to, to nick a nice fourth place up there. Now this one, I want you to give it some real thought. We're asking riders, how much would they pay not to have to ride the, well, the last few kilometers of the Zonkalan today? Viviani said it's okay today, but he would pay a thousand euros not to ride the stage on Monday. How much? Well, let's yeah, talk I, figures. I, I will go with Viviani, I'll chip in for Monday. A thousand or is that, too, is that, is that not enough? I can't afford more. <laughs> when I say the Zonkalan, what's the first word that comes into your mind? Uh, heart. <laughs> How much uh, money would you pay to not have to do this on Clan today? Oh, I would like to do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's not that no problem. So uh, I never did it, so uh, I like to see how it is. But it's going to be so hard for sure. But uh, I think I'm, uh, I'm not going, going for the results. So if I just take uh, Gruppetto, then it will be okay. Well, Daniel, who did we hear from there? Well, we heard from all sorts of people, Richard. Simon Pelot dropping a bit of a bombshell in that little, well, in that little cameo, um, which we should probably, I should probably have challenged him on. A follow-up follow question. Who offered you money? He, Simon Pelot was the writer we heard from first in that little package, and the writer we heard from last was stage winner Taco van der Horn. Um, of Antarmarche, uh, all, all very cheerful. Not many of them could be bought, or not bought, but could, not many of them were willing to part with money in order to avoid the Zonkala. No, a thousand euros, Elia Viviani, to miss uh, Monday's stage, the big Dolomite stage. Should we start finishing, a crowdfunder for him? We're finishing Cortina d'Ampezzo. What did you think of that? A fair price? I think we could have, I think if we'd have asked more riders, I think we could have got to. Two, three, I mean, he, four. I, think, I believe he's getting considerably more that from uh, more than that from Cofidis, isn't he? I mean, with Cofidis' interest rates, a thousand euros today could be two thousand oh, by Tuesday. Oh, no. Anyway, I don't think he will be. Well, it's not. It was an entirely hypothetical. Uh, it was question. a bit of, It was a good bit of. Um, well, it was an insight into. I mean, I started this Giro perhaps being slightly cynical about riders and, you know, how much they were taking things in, how much they were absorbing their surroundings, how much they were on the same kind of voyage of discovery as us. And um, what what emerged from that series of interviews this morning was that you know, they're very pure-spirited in their desire to, you know, con conquer these great natural obstacles and also, you know, a, a, a mythical climb in recent Giro history. Joking apart, the, there was quite something quite refreshing because we were speaking to them just before the start of quite a, an, an intimidating stage in, in, with the threat of pretty awful weather and it did get very cold and I was at the summit and saw some very, very cold riders indeed. Um, so you could have forgiven them for being kind of cagey, but actually what I picked up from the riders we spoke to was a sort of enthusiasm for riding the Zonkala, experiencing the Zonkala. Um, and quite refreshing in professional sport to hear that really perhaps. maybe we just picked the riders very carefully well perhaps they were influenced Richard by our glorious surroundings in Cittadella a gorgeous little fortified town another fortified town in the Veneto after our podcast recording last night in Suave um, if people are familiar with Castelfranco Veneto which is just down the road from there very similar they're sort of Siamese twins the, those two towns but um, extraordinarily beautiful and it was packed um, a huge cycling culture in that area of the world in the towns around there Padova and Vicenza Vicenza home of Il Pavone di San well home I mean it actually comes from San Rigo, just up the road but um, Filippo Pozzato Vicenza he's his nearest biggest big, nearest big city and we saw the I saw the Il Pavone, the, the peacock, peacock had of his San Diego. In the uh, hospitality, didn't he? In the hospitality, of course, he's busy organizing these two races that he wants to put on at the end of the season, one of it one of which will, I believe, visit Cittadella. Well, we were in hospitality, weren't we, Daniel? Not ordinarily allowed in hospitality, uh, which did earn us quite a lot of uh, um quizzical looks from RCS officials. But we were there was a special exception made because we were summoned to an audience with the acting ambassador, American ambassador to Italy. 
a gentleman uh, named Tom Smith, and he did insist on us calling him Tom. We'll hear our chat with him a bit later on because he's a big cycling fan uh, and a friend of the podcast, an actual friend of the podcast. We presented him with a, a cap, but um, he'd, he'd got in touch and, and it was nice to meet him. And, and maybe that's why Larry Warbass sounded so chipper because the the ambassador had tipped him for the stage Well, incorrectly, as it turned out. Lucky Larry, as he's affectionately known by us, of course, um, he was maligning the fact that he couldn't get into break, so he'd therefore become, become Unlucky Larry, and there's a hashtag that's been started in his team, Pray for Larry. But Unlucky Larry, the, the stage winner today was called Lorenzo Fortunato, literally... Lucky Lorenzo. <laughs> is that a, was that a good omen or or not? It could be a good omen for tomorrow. I mean, Larry's trying every day, isn't he? But he's he's in a strong team. Well, they're, they're but, certainly making their Fortunato. Their Larry's name, felt. Larry's official name, is not actually Lucky Larry. Uh, that's a, that's it's a, just a nonsensical, a whimsical point. nickname that we've come up with. One of the big stages today. Um, so let's uh, hear what actually happened. A few notable DNSs at the start did not start. Uh, Dylan Grunewagen, um in his return race didn't start. His, their number two sprinter, David Decker, also withdrew. Um, not a lot left for the sprinters, is there? So um, one stage, maybe understandable. And Jai Hindley, second overall last year, uh, the D- DSM rider um, had to pull out with a painful saddle sore. He's not been himself and uh, has been suffering. We heard him on the podcast a few nights ago. Uh, so no great surprise. We expected some some big hitters who are not up on GC to feature in the day's big breakaway. It was lucky having Jan Tratnik in our little package at the start because he was one of the riders in the break. And, and always good in stages like this. He's won a stage of the Giro before, of course. Also there, um, Andre Ponomar, the youngest rider in the race, still 18, is he? Androni Giacatelli, he was there, obviously, doing all right. Tratnik, Remy Rochas from Cofidis. On Ponomar, Rich, shall we just briefly digress to hear from, we haven't heard from him for a few days, from his ever dapper team manager, Gianni Savio, who I saw at the at the team buses after the finish and i asked him what the model or what the formation had been this morning well Gianni, we are halfway up or down the zoncolan the stage has just finished you had andre bonomar in the break today but what was the model or this morning the model was uh, uh four riders with the possibility to go in the breakaway and uh, and the two riders, so four, two, four, two, two. Two riders free to attack. Uh, Simon Pello and uh, Andri Ponomar. And the other two, the sprinter, away calm. the finish, calm, away the finish for not, uh, for, for, uh, for, for to be present tomorrow. And how did Andre do? How did he ride, in your opinion? Andre, a good, uh, a good race. Eh? A good race. He's uh, uh, not a climber, but uh, he is able to defend mountain. So uh, I think that uh, with um, with uh, experience, uh, Andre Ponomar will be uh, in the future a good rider. Last thing. Many compliments, many, many compliments uh, for Fortunato. Eh? A wonderful victory. And, and Gianni, your old pupilo protege Egan Bernal is leading the, the Giro. Can anyone beat him? He's, uh, he's a champion. And uh, for this reason, if, uh, if uh, all follow normally, he will be after uh, Tour de France. Uh, the champion of Giro Italy. Well, it was Gianni Savio. Also in the breakaway was Vincenzo Albanese from Eolo Cometa, uh, Lorenzo Fortunato of the same team. Uh, Lucky jo- Lorenzo. George Bennett of Jumbo Visma, Eduardo Alfini, a teammate, and Nelson Oliveira of Movistar, Balka Molima of Trek Segafredo, his teammate Jacopo Mosca, who was the coldest rider I saw at the summit by some distance, and Rich. Alessandro Covey of UAE Team Emirates. Rich, speaking of luck, bad luck, misfortune, 
George Bennett, I had a flashback today. I remembered that the last time we went to Lord Zonkolan, 2018, he had a problem at the bottom, didn't he, with his DI2 shifters. That was the first time ever. That was that was when I was introduced to the concept. To cycling tech. No, I was introduced to the concept of crash mode. I remember George Bennett and I had a conversation about what crash what crash mode was and what caused it. And um, that sort of scuff, scuppered him on that occasion. Today, it was his, his legs, really, that... Um, weren't His legs quite, went into some kind of crash well, mode. Crash mode, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we did expect him when we saw him in that group to suddenly contend for the victory, but... Um, we did. It was a curious finale, really. Before the Zonkalan, I mean, it was a day of two big climbs. Um, the Forcella Monte Rest was the first one. A climb and a, more importantly, a descent that hasn't featured in the Giro since 1987, uh, where famously Stephen Roach... Well, shall we hear? Well, What's I think, yeah, I think the race went up up there a couple of years ago when Simon Yates won the stage in Sapada, I, I believe, but the race hasn't gone in this ah, direction okay. down since 1987. Well, let's hear what Stephen Roach did in 1987. So um, I went over the top of the hill and went to the front and went down the, fr- the, the, the descent quite fast. And, um, like, I didn't get out of the saddle. Like, What's the, what is the determination of attack? Does somebody, must somebody get out of the saddle? Must somebody accelerate? I just rode off the front and went down the descent a little faster than everybody else. And I joined the group, the front group by the bottom. Whereas Vizendini could have followed me. Anybody could have followed me. But apparently I went down the descent too fast. But that's not attacking, that's, I went down too fast. So the car came up and it says, Stephen, um, uh, what are you doing? So well, you know, there's nobody in the front. So I, I thought, well, it'd be good if there's a career rider here and that way the teammates haven't got to ride on the flat they can let somebody else ride and ride for Roberto no 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 no. Stephen you don't understand it says um, the Carrera team are riding behind you as well what are they riding behind me for there's uh, nobody dangerous in this group it's only myself and if you wait a few minutes the Panasonics will ride or the Bianchi will ride they said well well not really it's, um, they're all everywhere they're ones and twos everyone's totally disorganised you went down that descent too fast and there's uh, bodies everywhere so they're totally disorganized. If, um, if you don't stop, they never catch you. Said, well, isn't that great? We can win the, win the Giro. So he, said, he politely told me, listen, Stephen, that isn't the question. Roberto's riding behind. You have to wait. I said, well, if Roberto's going to ride behind me, tell, you know, to keep riding. He said, I'll stop riding if he stops riding. If he doesn't stop riding, I'm going to stop him riding. And when he catches me, I'm going to go again. So he chooses. Just tell him, no, Stephen, you, best, you better stop. No way. So I went down a gear and uh, I, I, I got this power from I don't know where. And I always remember looking back and then a big, long, long straight road with a heat haze on it. And my whole team are riding behind me. And I'm riding on the front of this four-man brake. Ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Little digression there back to or time travel, back to the future. 1987, Stephen Roach and his great heist when he won the Giro. That was part of a conversation that was a friend special in 2017. And we've just... Put it on the friends' feed again, so you can relive Stephen Roach's '87. And it was fascinating to listen back to that and to watch what happened today because we saw Astana on the front um, and and really attacking that descent. They knew it was a, a dangerous descent. Um, maybe maybe inspired by Roach's um, devil may care approach to it in 1987. Who knows? Um, and for a, a moment or two, it looked like it had done some damage, albeit. Egan Bernal, the pink jersey was there, but Vlasov, who had started the day second overall, was in a little group of six with three Astana riders. Uh, Bernal was there too, so that that sort of neutralised it. But there was a there was a chase behind, and uh, the the group came back together really by the the bottom. Up ahead, Balcomolma was first over the climb, um, so it all came down to the Zonkalan and the the break at the front fractured. The riders who'd had teammates up there were certainly benefited from that, notably Bennett. Um, but Fortunato said that he also um, had a lot of help from the teammate that he had in the breakaway. He almost um, got wrestled to the ground as well at one point by an unruly spectator. Did he you did. see that? Yeah. Um, and so good was his mood. I mean, his press conference was something else. It was like he'd spent the afternoon not riding up the Zonkalan, but gorging on, I don't know, um, sherbet dips and marshmallows and washed down with a, a litre of Sunny D. He was 
over the moon, um, <laughs> as you would expect. But um, he, he actually said the spectator, okay, he'd almost wrestled into the ground, but actually he also gave him quite a nice push uh, at a point. He did give him a push, yeah. yeah. At, a, at a point when Jan Tratnik was starting to make inroads from behind. Mm, yeah, well, if you if you you know stay upright and win the stage, you're probably better disposed to that. So it was, it was, it was an accidental shoulder barge, I would say. He, he lost his footing a bit, the spectator. The, the offending gentleman was was himself then wrestled to the ground by some other spectators. I don't know if you saw that. No, but they shouldn't be, we say it time and time again, they shouldn't be getting that close to the riders. Don't run alongside them. Anyway, Jan Tratnik was the first to uh, attack. Um, the group behind was whittled down to the, the the riders we expected to be there, the likes of Bennett and Molima. Uh, but surprisingly, it was Fortunato who... Um, attacked from that group, bridged up to Tratnik and then dropped him just as the climb was getting really steep with about 2.3 kilometres to go. I mean, the last kilometre took about an hour and a half. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly. That's what it felt like. It was ridiculous. Did you notice that Fortunato seemed to engage the turbo just at the point when they reached the snow line Aptly enough, because he's from the same village as Alberto Tomba La Bomba. This is the second time we've mentioned Tomba in the Giro. The first time was when we were at Sestola, which is pretty much where Tomba learned to ski. And I believe that Tomba himself was watching the stage today with Lorenzo Fortunato's father. Well, well, well. Well, Fortunato held on for an amazing win. There were... Uh, there was some incredible footage of Alberto Contador, who runs that team with Ivan Basso, celebrating the win. Uh, Where was Contador? Was I think in he's Spain? in Madrid. Uh, he's in Madrid. And he, he's made some promise to Rob Hatch to cycle. Or he made some promise that if they won a stage, he would ride his bike from Madrid to Milan. And of course, Ivan Basso, the other, the other manager of that team, um, won on Lozoncalan in 2010. Sean Yates is in the team car on that team too. So yeah, an incredible, un- unexpected uh, victory. We, d- we do see these sometimes on these stages. Yeah, and it was interesting that earlier in the Giro, um, Basso talked about how that team, obviously the real minnows of this Giro d'Italia, I would, I would guess the team with by far the lowest budget, um, they had targeted... How many, how many stages do you think they, they had targeted in the whole Giro? 21. Three. Basso said that the, they had picked out three stages and they were only really um, harbouring any hopes of winning three particular stages. He wouldn't reveal which ones they were. And if well, you looked at the all of the, the Giro route and you considered, again, their resources as a team, you wouldn't imagine that one of the three stages would have been the hardest stage of the race, which you know is what today was billed as. But it obviously was one of them because they, they put two men in the break and, and they'd obviously thought long and hard about this stage and prepared it and uh, you know it was still a massive upset even having those two riders in the break but Fortunato obviously is a, is a pretty talented rider young rider and um, and today in that press conference that I mentioned well he was he was more focused on savouring the win than really um, looking ahead to the future and what he might achieve in the future but I, I got the sense that he didn't really know what kind of rider he was yet um, Looks like a climber to me. Yeah. His, his first win as well, amazingly. Behind uh, the action in the breakaway, it was all kicking off in the bunch as uh, Astana kind of melted away. Ineos Grenadiers came to the front. They had still a lot of numbers up there. And as they uh, tackled the Zonkland, they were making it pretty tough. In Eventually, um, it was actually Simon Yates who, who lit the the touch paper. He 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 attacked, and it, that was great to see because he he has not had the diamonds in his legs. Uh, he looked today like what has he had in his well? Head? I mean, today he had I don't know Swarovski sil- silver sort of silver in his legs today. Um, certainly he looked better and livelier. He hinted that that had been a problem the first week without saying what it was. Good to see him attack, but Bernal was all over it, and he followed him, and eventually. Uh, dropped him and actually caught most of the break and ended up fourth on the stage. So Fortunato first, Tratnik second, uh, Covey third, another very good performance by this young rider. Bernal fourth, Molima held on for fifth, Simon Yates was then sixth. He conceded just 11 seconds to Bernal in the end. Bennett held on for seventh. Um, and overall, 
Bernal has increased his lead. Yates has moved up three places to second overall, but he's at 133, which is a significant gap. Damino Caruso, amazingly, really held on, uh, well, defended his overall position without really seeing him. He's still third overall. Vlasov dropped down two places. He's now fourth. Carthy dropped a place to fifth. And Emmanuel Buchmann held firm in sixth. Still gassing and fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink? On rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. My name is Kevin Sprouse. I'm a sports medicine physician, head of medicine for EF Nippo Pro Cycling. And I also have a practice called Podium Sports Medicine in the U.S. One of my other positions is I'm a scientific advisor for Super Sapiens. When we look at this type of glucose monitoring technology for amateur riders, I think there's actually a potentially bigger benefit than for pro riders. And if, if we think about the evolution of power meters and the fact that when those first came to cycling, they were kind of the purview of professional cyclists and then they trickled down, um, we saw the same thing. At the very pointy end of performance, we're looking to gain small percentage points in terms of performance, speed, power. For the rest of us who are not quite that dialed with our with our day-to-day training, power meters opened up a whole new world where we could really focus our efforts, become efficient with training, and have these programs that allowed us to get much fitter, almost stepwise improvements, because we were doing things correctly. We were doing them with some objective and some feedback. And I think that these glucose monitors will be the same way. They're really useful for the professional uh, rider and, and the elite enthusiasts, but for those that are more recreational and just looking to be more efficient and really cover some of the foundational components of training and racing around diet, fueling, metabolism, I think there's a lot to be gained there. And so I I truly think the, the recreational and amateur rider probably will see greater benefits from this in an absolute term than even those at the pointy end of performance, because there's just more to be gained. Well, Rich, everyone was talking about Lord Zonkolan, understandably today, because yeah, as we've said, as we've established, it is now one of the the sort of legendary clients of professional cycling. But some interesting, well, an interesting route today, which passed. It didn't quite go flash right by the spot, but it was about ten kilometres away from a place called Peonis. Peonis. Um, in we're in which region now? Trento. Oh. Uh, Friuli. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, yes, it, the, the race went past Peonis, famous for the death of Ottavio Bottecchia in mm. 1925. Six. No, 1927. Two time Tour de France winner, Italy's first Tour de France winner. One of the great mysteries. Well, he won in 1924 and about a fortnight later and it was recorded officially recorded as a as an accidental death but as you say Richard it's been the source of mystery and intrigue ever since in 1947 a contadino a sort of peasant a farmer from Peonis who had emigrated to France said on his deathbed that he had beaten Botecchia to death with a stick when Botecchia had stolen his grapes um, in other versions, it was reported that this contadino had said he'd stolen his cherries or his figs. Um, but not long after that, another Friulan um, emigre, this one to the United States, claimed that the mafia had hired him to kill Botecchia um, in some kind of betting. It was, it was some kind of betting racket, and Botecchia's brother had also been killed in an accident, a car accident, um, around the same time. So the two things sort of seemed slightly fishy and that that admission was also on this you know this um friulan emigre's deathbed and then thirdly 
the priest of Peonis, who had sort of tried to revive Botecchia, had also said on his deathbed in 1973 that Botecchia had been in a fight with some fascists and um, well, he was he was and, uh, he was very out. outspoken wasn't he yeah and he'd, he'd come off he'd come out worse um, from a, some kind of scuffle with when some he was leading the Tour de France was he not was there not a sort of attempt to hijack him by the Italian fascists to claim him and claim his success there as a, as a fellow yeah, in their and, camp. And, the, and he he resisted that. Yeah, and part of one well, of these conspiracies, these theories, um, is that, you know, the two things are linked. Um, who's running Botecchia Bikes at this Giro, Daniel? Um, Gianni Savio. And today I posted... So the name lives on. Yeah, and today on the Cycling Podcast Twitter account, we posted a nice little video that GCN did of a former pro, recently retired pro called Alan Marangoni, couple of years ago trying to ride up Lodzoncolan on a Graziella bike these sort of children's fold-up bikes which are now made by Botecchia I said that Trento I should have said Trentino shouldn't I for a region yes but you know I'm still wrong not, so it doesn't really matter yeah we're not we're not close, close to there are to we there, no. we're quite close no well, I mean we'd it's have in to the go north another region first it's in the north Oh dear. I'm just pretending to not enlist to make Daniel look good. Um, <laughs> now, Daniel, um, you spoke to a couple of people at the finish. Well, let's hear first from Mark Christian, actually, teammate of the winner. Um, it's fair to say they were a bit of a surprise inclusion in the Giro, especially at the expense initially of Androni. Um, so, Mark Christian found himself riding the Giro, um, Isle of Man rider, and here's a quick reaction from him at the finish. It's crazy, it's absolutely crazy. It's a first year at this level. Um, you know, I think we've had a, a good season so far, but I think step by step we've been getting better each race and gradually, like we knew this was the main goal and I think we've kind of, we've arrived here uh, in perfect timing, real good form and good condition. And um, yeah, what can I say? Unbelievable ride from uh, 4-2 today. And also Alba, hey, yeah, yeah, I believe he did a great job in the break. So. That was Mark Christian. Um, a, great, a, a big surprise, no question about it um, but of course much of the interest in what happened down the road and especially the sort of the, the, the show of superiority from Bernal um, you know he's looked the best rider in the race so far but in a way not reminiscent really of Simon Yates a few years ago I don't think and it was another breakaway that went to the finish and I was talking to some of our Italian colleagues today at the finish and saying that as much as Primoz Roglic and Jumbo Visma have sometimes been maligned because for example in last year's Welter Roglic won I don't know how much time he gained but it was a lot of time on time bonuses he actually and they actually make racing not only exciting but they make the the battle for the stage win and the GC battle they, they often um, make the two things meet and coalesce because often uh, you know, Roglic has his eye on time bonuses and consequently, for example, if you look at the Vuelta last year, you know, there were a lot of times where Jumbo Visma chased and got the break back and the whole, you know, as, as I said many times last year in the Vuelta, you didn't have separate races for the break and for the stage and for the sprints and then the GC race on the side. It was all part of one sort of contiguous um, entity and Bernal is not quick. And, you know, generally, if he's going to the line, he's going to the line with people who are faster than him. Today, I mean, it's probably the least the, the least appropriate day to mention that because, you know, he could have won on his own on Lodzonkalan and he did drop everyone on Lodzonkalan. But in terms of evaluating why the breaks are going to the finish every day, I think that is a part of it. And also, you know, as we've said um, before, I think there are a lot of teams and a lot of riders in this in this race who would be content with and thrilled with second, third, fourth, fifth place. And there's no real, there's no question about who is going to take responsibility for the chase. It's pretty much always been Ineos. Today there was, you know, there, were, there was a moment, there was an hour, there were two hours when Astana took control, but it's pretty much been down to Ineos. They're not that interested in going for the stage, so consequently the break goes. One rider who I don't think would be content with the podium uh is Simon Yates. You know, I think he, he's the one rider who's won a Grand Tour and uh, would be prepared to, to gamble and, and lose rather than settle for a second. And you spoke to Matt White, his sports director, at the finish. And we also 
heard from Simon Yates, didn't we? Yeah, it was good. Um, better legs than the, than the first week, and I'm slowly getting there, so happy with, uh, with where I'm at. Obviously, uh, Bernal is the, is the man to beat. He obviously showed he had great legs again today, so um, it's going to be tough to beat him, but we'll, uh, we'll keep on trying. Yeah, I, I just hope to have the, the same legs as today for the, for the rest of the race now, and uh, hopefully we can try something and, and, and try and take the jersey. Matt, a good day for you. Good day for Simon. Uh, just give us your, well, tell us first of all what you were aiming for when you started the day. What were the orders that you sent them out with this morning? Well, we're just going to play it by ear. Uh, we knew there'd be a selection. I, I, we figured it wouldn't be an aggressive day today in general. The way the course was set out, it really only, uh, this side of the Zonkwan is nowhere near as hard as the other side. And I, we really expected the, there'd be fireworks just inside the last 3K. And, and that's what it delivered. Astana, having said that, were pretty aggressive. Um, I know what you made of their move. Were they trying to split it on the descent because they did for a minute? Uh, no idea, but everyone knew that, that it was a tricky descent. Uh, parts of it wet, parts of it were dry, but it was a long way to go and we weren't really concerned when, they, when, the, when the group split because uh, you know, there was two GC guys in there and the rest weren't. So a long, way, a long way from there to the finish and everyone had teammates behind, so it was no stress at all. And looking at the way Simon rode today, this might be reaching a little bit, but people might say, well, Simon is riding quite conservatively or has so far and might be saving energy for the third week. He's looking better and better. Maybe Bernal's riding the way Simon did three years ago and, you know, he's, he's used a lot of his cartridges already. Oh, well, we're riding our race. And, you know, people love harping on the 2018 Giro, but people also forget that three months later, Simon went and won the Welter. In a, in, a, in a similar style that is usually at the moment, that's riding conservative, picking and choosing his moments. And uh, I said, a lot of water's gone under the bridge between the 2018 Giro and now. Tomorrow's stage, Matt. Anything, anything going to happen on GC front? GC front, no. Uh, it's a day. It's a day. It's got breakaway written all over it. It's, it's not an easy stage. It might look easy on the profile. It is not. Uh, I haven't checked this morning uh, since this morning, but the weather didn't look so good for tomorrow. But the weather didn't look so good for today, and actually it turned out to be a great day weather-wise. So, you know, it's been a pretty temperamental uh, weather systems we've been having this whole race. But if it's a wet day tomorrow, it will be a tricky one. Um, but it's certainly not a GC day. It's, uh, everyone will be waiting for Monday. So that was Simon Yates and Matt White. Um, but it's very hard at the moment to see beyond an Egg and Bernal win, um, which is, for the race, a bit disappointing with a week still to go, isn't it? Yes, although, you know, I was at the Ineos Grenadiers bus this evening and it is curious and I did talk about this the other day that they're already thinking about talking about the seconds that he needs for the time trial, which, you know, once upon a time would not have been the case. Uh, A week and how many mountain stages are there still to come? There are four big mountain stages still to come. Um, you know, he's still thinking in terms of just getting, just you know, taking out fine, or winning by f- very fine margins every day and eking out this advantage. And there isn't any question of him sort of obliterating the opposition and they're being very careful with their resources. It was curious today, interesting, that Narvaez and Castroviejo really came to the fore because we thought that with Civico out, they might be slightly weaker in the mountains and even sort of underpowered in the mountains and there might be too much pressure pressure on Dani Martinez. But Castroviejo and Narvaez really came to the fore today and they're being very, very circumspect, I think, um, which is, I suppose, understandable in the circumstances. You also spoke to Dario Cioni, uh, the sports director at Ineos Grenadiers. Well, Dario, another good day for Egan. Um, were you helped a little bit by what Astana tried to do today? They took a little bit of the weight off your shoulders, I suppose, although it was an aggressive move. Yeah, I mean, it's still a long zero, so we need, we need... It's a very hard week last week, so we are very, very conscious that uh, we've been in the uh, pink jersey already a few days, and it's a long, long way to Milano, and uh, we don't want to waste energy. So today, as long as the break didn't contain any direct threat, for us it was okay to, for the break to go for the win. And then uh, we guessed that maybe someone would come and sort of uh, maybe be interested in, uh, in the stage win, because at the end, still Zonkulan is a really important stage. And uh, this actually happened with Astana. And uh, I think we would have pulled a bit if we had got out of hand. But then with the, with the gap under control, um, we kept our energies for the final. 
Was it an attack by them on the descent of the end of the well, the penultimate climb, or was it just a natural split that occurred? No, the, I mean the descent was very, very technical. Uh, a lot of people knew it because we had ridden up last year, and we knew that uh, it could be a potential danger. So, like, I think it just happened. Astana was probably on the flat. They went down. Egan and Castro was right behind. Bilbao is a good descender, so he, he was probably up there. But the fact that then they sort of sat up at the bottom, I think, meant it wasn't a real attack. And, and the team again rode well. Um, Narvaez and Castroviejo were extremely strong on the climb. And yeah, people might have been worried when Sivakov crashed that you might be a bit light in the mountains, but those guys look in great form. Yeah, obviously, losing power was, was a, a blow. And uh, a good climber like him and actually a uh, GC backup. Uh, would have been handy at this point but uh, this is also reason why we are taking it very cautious because uh, we got some riders in doing very very good and uh, we want to be able to know that they will be there full of energy when we will need to defend the jersey and finally do you think Yates now is the biggest danger based on his performance today I think they are all very equal even with Egan, obviously Egan has an advantage. He can sort of now sit on a bit, but uh, he, nothing is done. He's far, far away from from being done. With uh, still some very big stages ahead. Obviously, now Yeti, we will have an even closer look to him because uh, with today's uh, performance, he sort of he, he has shown that he's there in the in the fight for the pink, and uh, no one should be. Um, forgot this or take that uh, we are in a good position we are with a bit of an advantage but still a long way to Milano at the end of the day we want to be Milano in pink chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton cycling podcast team car the back of the pack please that's Seb Piquet the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France interrupting our Giro coverage to remind us to tell you that this episode is supported by CAM Appropriately enough, I'm in a very calming place right now on the chairlift to the top of Monte Zoncalan. Well, that's calming for some, maybe not so much for other people. Consider this as your mental health checkpoint. How are you feeling today? A little anxious? Haven't been sleeping well? Lacking focus? It's okay to need help sometimes and CAM can provide support. On Orla's recommendation, I've been trying CAM at the Giro because I always find that I sleep a lot worse when away from home. Eating late doesn't help, and I have a particular problem with waking up at 3 or 4 and then struggling to get back to sleep. I've tried some of the calm stories here and sounds, and the one that I like the most is the sound of ocean waves. For some reason, hearing massive waves crashing onto the beach really helps to switch my brain off or onto something else and to relax. I'm clearly more in the Chiro camp than the Daniel camp, because Daniel, of course, doesn't like the sea. Another one I really liked was a little story, a sleep story, they call it, um, about the history of the shipping forecast, read by the man who presented the shipping forecast on BBC Radio 4 for 40 years. He also wrote a book about it. He's called Peter Jefferson, and he has a very soothing voice. Um, It might mean nothing to non-British listeners, but the shipping forecast, which reels off places and weather patterns that mean nothing to us non-seafarers, is fantastically relaxing and soothing as well as being extremely useful and potentially life-saving for those who are at sea of course anyway we are partnering with cam the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel clear your head with guided daily meditations improve your focus with cam's curated music tracks and drift off to dreamland with cam's imaginative sleep stories such as the one i mentioned by peter jefferson but Stephen Fry and others feature there too. And if you go to cam.com forward slash cycle, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Cam premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Cam to take care of their minds. Sleep more, stress less, live better with Cam. That's cam.com forward slash cycle. Well, we heard before the break there from Dario Cionio of Ineos Grenadiers, uh, circumspect Ineos Grenadiers. I guess there's also still the question of Bernal's fitness. Um, you know, with his back problems last year not having gone away, um, that's a, a constant managing uh, process, I think, with him, uh, hoping that problems don't flare up again. And as we go into the third week, that's when 
you know any any issues might might surface. So that might also um, explain their their caution too. Daniel, we've we've had to move into the restaurant before we miss last orders. What are we looking at here? We should first revisit last evening's meal, if only because it was a continuation of our quest, my quest, to understand why slightly thicker than standard spaghetti has a different name in every region. Last night I, I had bigoli. Bigoli is the name of those, you know, just slightly, slightly fatter than usual spaghetti in the Verona region. And I think the whole of the Veneto where we were last night, they were very good. Um, it What's was the explanation for that uh, in terms of not, not, I mean, I, I understand why there'd be different, there'd be variations in thickness, but it seems that there's a sort of value attached to that, 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 you know, a different thickness will result in a different flavour. Is it? I mean, it's all about surface area with pasta, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, there was this very funny story during the pandemic last year. Um, two, two things in the in the Italian pasta world and the, the world of Italian um, home cooking um, happened and were widely reported on that no one could get hold of bucatini which were, which are sort of regarded as the holy grail of the, 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 the best long pasta that you can possibly buy because they're basically spaghetti with a little hole in them and they're brilliant for holding sauce and they're very versatile and everyone wants them. Which begs the question, why supermarkets weren't just replenishing their stocks of these very popular bucatini? The other thing was that shops all over Italy were left with huge stocks of the, the bet noir the, or the bastard child of Italian pasta which is penne lisce which are smooth penne so you, most people know penne pasta and it, it's the, the Te- u- like teflon isn't it just, just well, the, the usual, sauce just slides off yeah the usual penne are called penne rigate like penne with lines on literally penne lisce have no lines they're smooth they've got a smooth surface and the the sauce just slides off them and no one wants these penne lisce and italians last year in the first month or two of the pandemic were were posting pictures on social media of these supermarket shelves full of penne lisce um so yeah it's all to do with the equivalent of toilet rolls is it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or not well exactly it's all to do with the adherence of the pasta the um, the porosity of the pasta the Italians also we've never really got into this but there are very rigid rules which you'll be surprised at I'm sure it being Italy very rigid rules about which shape of pasta goes with which sauce so what are we looking at tonight Daniel so I well, I've got my eye on in the primi le tagliatelle di casa ai fiori di zucca so um, tagliatelle with pumpkin flour and saffron and zafferano um, it was also a nice looking antipasto velutata which is a sort of soup um, the cecineri of black chickpeas literally I think of sour and and speck which is like parma ham of sauris sauris is a place near here great and we're here for two nights which is a bit of a luxury we've got two two nighters coming up which is which is wonderful at this stage of the race well almost totally forgot to do uh tonight's installment fell asleep on the bus and yeah just not been with it since but uh yeah just had dinner and yeah got to experience monty's uncle Anne. so that was something Maybe not the same without all uh, the fans. It was just limited to a thousand people today, and also not the the hardest side either. But yeah, still a very very difficult day. Um, yeah, it was pretty balls out for the break, and then people were still disappointed not to have guys at the road. So that went on and on and on, and then Astana almost took it on immediately. Set a strong pace all day. Um, some splits on the descent of the Paso Rest. Tricky little descent, actually. I've done it before in a uh, different race. And we also did it from the other side last year. Um, but we managed to sort that situation out. And then it was just dealing with Zonkalan. But yeah, um, Remco lost a little bit more time, so not ideal. We'll see what happens. And up tomorrow's another another day, another tricky day. Tricky little finish uh, circuit. Maybe some wet roads, too. And obviously the big one on Monday. But... Uh, yeah, he slipped back a bit now in time, so obviously not ideal. Um, I felt a bit better today. Uh, was sort of fighting, keeping up in a good position on the first climb. <sighs> Had to ride to close some gaps after that descent. Um, 
so yeah, I can't be too disappointed with the legs and then and then sat up and tried to enjoy taking it easy on Zonkalan, but the last 3k was really, yeah, it took forever at my speed. Um, and if the other side is like that the whole way, then yeah, pretty grim. Um, but not a disaster. We're in Udine now. Stay here for a couple of nights. Uh, we got lucky for the weather, with the weather for the first time. A lot of forecast rain, cold, but stayed pretty much dry, so that's a bonus. Um, and also, Yolo Cometa won the, got their first victory. Uh, pretty nice, well, big occasion for them. Um, yeah, so I think we need to try and crack on with this Jiro and get our own stage win or do something anyway. But um, yeah, see what happens. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science and Sport, our supporters since 2016. Very grateful to them for their sponsorship of the Cycling Podcast. If you'd like 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25. There's still time to enter our competition for to predict Sunday's winner. That's a difficult one, actually, I would have thought, uh, to predict tomorrow's winner. You've got until about 11 a.m. tomorrow, I think, or certainly until the stage starts, um, to predict the winner and being with a chance of winning £80 worth of science and sport goodies, go to thecyclingpodcast.com if you'd like to enter the competition. Um, I mentioned earlier that our Stephen Roach special from 2017 has gone on the Friends feed. If you uh, want to sign up as a friend of the podcast, um, you can also do so at thecyclingpodcast.com and there's absolutely loads of episodes there now. One person who has recently signed up, very recently signed up as a friend of the podcast, Daniel, is Tom Smitham, who is the acting ambassador, US ambassador to Italy, based in Rome. And he emailed us a few days ago. Um, He's a friend of the podcast, a fan of the podcast, a fan of cycling. And he was coming to the Giro today, so he was asking if he could meet meet up with us, um, which was fantastic. It was a real pleasure to meet him and his wife and uh, hear about their time in Italy and their visit to this region and uh, well, I hope he had a great day today in the car following the race but here's our conversation uh, from the start this morning. Well it's amazing who you bump into at the, at the Giro Daniel isn't it we've uh, well you, you contacted us a couple of days ago the acting ambassador uh, to Italy for the US um, I wasn't quite sure how to address you Tom or dear acting ambassador but you told me Tom. Yes it's definitely Tom. And you're a, obviously a cyclist. Um, well, tell us about your own your own cycling. So I started cycling seriously when I lived in Belgium in uh, the mid 2000s. I cycled with a team that went out every Saturday uh, with all the full kit, with a follow car, and I thought that was a good introduction to cycling. So at the time, I figured I needed to upgrade my bike, and because I was living in Belgium. It was a great opportunity to go to the Eddie Merckx factory, meet Eddie Merckx, and then he measured me for a bike, and I bought that bike and still ride it today. And how long have you been in Italy? I've been here two years, uh, and I'll stay uh, at least another year, uh, based in Rome uh, at our embassy. Um, Tom, obviously, as an ambassador, you have to know everything there is to know about Italy, everything you possibly can. One of the historical roles of the Giro was to explain Italy to the Italians. Has the Giro explained a little bit about Italy to you as well? So I, I hope that the Giro, through the involvement of American riders, is more understandable to Americans. I think that's how we, we learn about it. And of course, you know, everybody remembers Andy Hampstead, or those cyclists remember Andy Hampstead and his great victory in 88. And then, you know, Americans have won 10 stages or so, and even this year with Joe Dombrowski winning a stage. But the other thing that you mentioned is, yes, as the Giro travels through Italy, you learn about the various regions. In fact, we're in Cittadella today. Never heard of this place. It's one of the nicest, most beautiful towns I've seen. So, yes, I guess through the Giro, I do learn about it. As a, as a fan of the sport, um, I guess today must be one of the perks of the job, is it? Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not supposed to say that, but yes, it's perk of the job. I'm going to be following the race uh, up to Monte Zoccolan today, 
very much looking forward to it. Looks have like you, have you been on a race like this before? I've I've attended the Tour de France and another Giro stage, but I've never been inside the race following it before. So this is my first time. You've obviously been um, you know, working in, in different parts of the world in your career. How do you enjoy being in Italy and how does it compare? So Italy is my favorite place to be outside of America, Americans, by the way. Uh, but uh, it's been a great honor to be here. It's a great time actually in the US-Italy relationship. So it's very easy to represent America to Italy. And also we share a lot of goals, values, objectives. So it's, this, is, it, this has been a very good assignment. I must finish with something very flippant, Tom. Um, you have Italy to blame for all the Ferrero Rocher jokes that you're no doubt subject to. You know the advertising campaign with this Ferrero Rocher ambassador, you're really spoiling us. Of course, Ferrero Rocher is a company from Alba where we, we visited earlier in the Giro. I mean, how, how tedious do those references become? So this is not a reference that is well understood by Americans, but I did work in our embassy in London for four years. And those jokes often came up 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, they're a little bit tedious. Well, we, we, did, we couldn't get any Ferrero Rocher, but we did bring you our Friends of the Cycling Podcast cap. Thank you very much. I look forward to, uh, to wearing this. As I've mentioned to you guys, you got to figure out a way to get these to Americans and to people on the continent because it's unfair to keep all your merchandise only within, the, uh, only within Great Britain. So I look forward to it. You told us you've just signed up as a friend of the podcast as well. I just, everybody out there, this is your chance to sign up as a friend of the podcast. My wife reminded me that I needed to do it. I'd forgotten for a couple years. So I just signed up today and encourage everybody else to do it. And finally, Tom, uh, you're about to meet the American riders still in the race, I think. Um, are you expecting anything from them today? I know Larry Warbass has been trying to get in a breakaway. What's your tip for the American riders today? Officially, I believe that the American riders can win today. So that's that's my position going in. Uh, Larry Warbass seems to be the best best position to try to get in a break. You know, it's very sad that Joe Dombrowski had to had to withdraw because you know he would have been competitive today. So let's uh, you know, hopefully, we'll see more Americans uh, in the next couple of years and uh, winning these types of stages. So that was the American ambassador. Uh, only one Frere Rocher reference. With these podcast interviews, ambassador, you're really spoiling us. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. I was going to say, he was um, a very pleasant man, wasn't he? Very diplomatic. A very, which is, I which guess, one would expect, Richard, I guess as it's an essential quality as an ambassador. for the job. Yes. Um, but very but, enthusiastic yeah. about, about the Giro. I got the impression he would have loved to stay longer at the Giro and maybe ride his bike. And um, But it's a busy life. And Tom was also telling us that, well, he lives in Rome now. I mean, it's when a, in Rome. A bit of a, a perk of the job, but also maybe at times in certain contexts for certain reasons. I'm not going to say a curse, but um, it, it, it's inconvenient if you're, a, if you're a cyclist to live in the centre of Rome. And I think... Well, he was telling us that he, he started to enjoy discovering Lazio, the Lazio re- region on his bike, but it's not easy to get Rome out of is, Rome. Uh, not a not a big heartland for cycling, it's is it? It's definitely not. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, maybe not the best place to live if you're a cyclist. But Rich, yes, Daniel. I'm still, I'm, I'm perusing the menu still, and a dish has just caught my eye. How do you like the sound of this? Filetino di maiale marinato al caffè con crema di mais, cipolle rosse, gocce di liquirizia. Little fillet of pork marinated with coffee, with cream, with corn cream, red onions, and drops of licorice. I'm gonna have that. What do you think about that? I'm gonna have it. Gonna have that. That That's, sounds great. Sounds quite avant-garde that stuff, doesn't it? That sounds great. Um, uh, Daniel, before we sign off tonight, we have to, having made its reappearance last night, Slow Radio is coming back again because. I took the chairlift up to the, the, the top of the mountain today and I was struck, as I often am on a chairlift, by the sound. The, the lack of sound, but the, the kind of gentle, calming sound. We heard it my my calm advert earlier recorded on the chairlift. It's a lovely sound, so I recorded a bit of just the chairlift and here it is.
Wonderful, Richard. That could send you off to sleep this evening, Definitely. Daniel. Without um, doubt. Uh, I mean, I made it up there again. Once again, you you didn't, Daniel. Uh, you stayed down by the buses to do. Well, you, you got more. I was grafting. You got more interviews than I did. Um, I, I was mainly up there. It was it was mainly, uh, I guess, the benefit or the value of being there was to just to witness the riders coming across the line. And you know, when you watch it on TV, you can be frustrated that you don't see more riders having a go at Bernal. Um, and you assume that you know there's some kind of choice in that. When you see them coming across the line, there is no choice. I mean, they were all in a real state. They, they were cold. They were they were tired. It's a really hard. It, we were, it's the easy way up the Zonkland, but it's a really really hard climb. Really really steep, um, and especially in that last kilometer or so. I mean, once Bernal really turned the screw, you know, s- serious amounts of time were lost, but. I don't think the riders really had much of a choice, unfortunately. So it, it doesn't augur that well for the rest of the race in terms of it being a, a dramatic spectacle, but yes. we keep our fingers crossed. No, Rich. And as far as the riders concerned, to quote our friend Max Chandry, the Movistar director sportive. <laughs> oh, here we go. I won't say it's getting worse, but it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> quote of the Giro so far. Excellent. Well, that's all for tonight. Um, I think we've got a kilometre zero coming tomorrow, Daniel. We have, and it's about well the Friuli region, and particular a lot of history about Gorizia, where we're finishing tomorrow um, on the Slovenian border. Last time the Giro went to Slovenia was 17 years ago, and we're back tomorrow. A couple of DNFs today, just before we go. I've just noticed, Daniel, Nikola Ede and Roger Kluger. No, no real surprise with Kluger, but Ede maybe a bit of a surprise. That's all for tonight. We'll see you or speak to you tomorrow evening. Thank you, Richard.